Welcome back to another episode of the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. I'm Gorev. And I'm Kevin. So, Kev, who are we talking to this week? Our guest for this episode is Mr. Micah Luek. Right now, he is the director of people analytics at Qualcomm. Earlier in his career, um, Micah accumulated a lot of experience in psychology, statistics, and research. And in his role at Qualcomm, he's able to combine all those skills to help the company better understand and improve the people management and HR process. And today, we are going to learn with Micah how that is done. Yeah, but before we get to that, why don't we jump into some of our learnings as podcasters this week? I think one of our first key learnings that we've been really trying to work on is structuring our question asking themes a little bit more. From a listener aspect, it can get a little confusing when we're jumping back and forth between themes and topics and pulling back from something we were talking about earlier or something we were planning on talking about. So kind of that idea of structuring it a little bit more because as podcasters, it's really important that we have the storyline as a whole so people can move from fluidly from theme to theme. So before we get started, I just want to point this out. Kevin has given me a lot of flack about my water bottles, my phones, and his phone did paint while I was talking. He tried to hide it and I'm looking at his face right now. So I just wanted to point that out for all the listeners at home. All right, why don't we get into it? Let's get started. So Micah, to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What is your story? So yeah, no, first off, just thank you both for having me today. It's, it's great to be here chatting with you and talking stories and data. Um, for my, my own story, you know, uh, it, it hasn't up until today included podcasting. So this is a first for me to, to do this. So it's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, and, and yeah, basically I uh, am from the Midwest. So grew up around like, Wisconsin area, Milwaukee, went to school in Wisconsin, studied psychology and statistics, did grad school in Chicago, where I merged both those together into a degree in industrial organizational psychology, and then worked a couple of years, again, still in the Midwest in, in Minneapolis, doing some uh, statistical research and, and analytics before finding, you know, really my dream job out in San Diego at Qualcomm which is people analytics. So taking all that education and studying about, you know, really workplace principles and psychology and behavior, as well as research and measurement and statistics and bring that all together into, you know, how can we make work better for all the people, 40,000 people that work at Qualcomm. I kind of want to expand on that kind of intersection between psychology and data, because it's so interesting. You come from a psychology background when did you realize that uh, data was the way you kind of wanted to take that degree? And can you tell me a little bit more about how those intersect? Yeah, totally. Um, math has always been kind of my my super skill growing up. And, you know, I, I felt the propensity for that. So I always knew I wanted to work with numbers and keep doing that. So as I studied just regular psychology, it seemed like I was missing something a little bit. Um, as much as I did like understanding people and, and looking at all the psychology angles. Um, but really seeing how the intersection here complements each other so well. So 
you know, psychology didn't fully do it for me without the numbers and then numbers on their own don't do it for me without also the people element and bringing all of that together. So I, I think that's been a thing for me is, you know, especially growing a people analytics team and talking with other teams and seeing they pull together skill sets from all over the place. And sometimes you have just pure data scientists and sometimes you have the IO psychologists and different backgrounds. And I think you need it all and you need that diversity. And, and I really like the psychology angle because, you know, the, the best data scientists in the world, I think can get lost in kind of a black box of putting together models without necessarily fully understanding why are we doing this and what does it mean and how do you communicate it? And so I, I think it's like, not only can we do something, but should we do it and, and how do we use that? Yeah, and this is a perfect segue into something I really wanted to know as a data person. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what people analytics is and how does analytics help businesses and HR make better decisions for their organizations? Definitely a good place to start. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, so uh, people analytics, I mean, it probably has a formal definition. I, I like to think of it as just like the application of behavioral psychology and scientific measurement to the workplace. So as you operationalize that, it, you know, it's some pretty fundamental things like program evaluations, for example. So just looking at what are the things we're doing or trying out or putting programs or policies in place as a company and are those working? What are the outcomes that we see there and is it worth the investment we put in or what are we getting out of it and are employees getting the intended value there? Um, all the way through more predictive analyses. So I, I think a really common one in this field is understanding what drives turnover decisions and people to stay or leave a company um, or, you know, any number of topics really. And, and I think that's part of what makes it a very filling career is the, the topics change every year. So it's basically just whatever leaders need to know to run their business is what we work on. And you know, in a year like this last one we've had, it's looked totally different than years before that. And, and honestly, in the, you know, close to a decade I've been working on this, no two years have looked too similar to each other. So, so there's really no limit. I, I don't think uh, we'll run out of topics anytime soon. And it's also such a heavy weight almost to analyze all this data and do it in a responsible and important way. I know a big kind of probably criticism you run into is this people worried about you looking at personal data as data and not seeing the people behind it. How do you kind of balance that kind of qualitative and quantitative data set? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I, I think we do a pretty good job of that at Qualcomm by just bringing diverse perspectives into the room and really, again, starting with what is the problem we're trying to solve? What are the reasons leaders want that to be solved? What are they going to do with it? And how is it going to benefit employees? So we go through a set of questions with each big project to, to answer those and make sure there's good answers in place before we really begin any analyses, just to make sure the data is going to be used in the right ways for the right purposes. Um, you know, it, it would take one misstep to lose all of the trust you built over the years. So that's something we try to be very careful about and really think through on what is the worst case scenario that could happen as a result of doing this analysis? And if there seems to be a risk there that outweighs the, the benefit to employees, we just wouldn't do it. Bring in more perspectives uh, to diversify 
the data set and the information we have is definitely key to any uh, modeling or analytics techniques we apply to it later. Um, and along that line, I wonder if you can elaborate more on how you can bring this diversity lens uh, for analyses in different uh, kind of stages in the employee life cycle. So uh, yeah. how would you do uh, differently uh, in the hiring process, in the development and in the retention and um, when they're leaving? So I think that's a, a really important point and something where we're, again, pretty fortunate that we have in the last year hired someone whose sole job is to be our diversity analyst and really consider this. And, and all of us work on this too. So again, it's multiple perspectives. But the, the key to understand is regardless of the stage, you know, subconscious bias or, or other forms of bias can come into play at any stage. And you know, any single decision, whether it's small or big, um, you know, even if it doesn't seem harmful, those add up and over time can put women or other groups on a different trajectory. And so, you know, we really want to ensure that we thoroughly understand and work with the people who are the experts in hiring or in the annual review and promotion process or on the turnover side to make sure, you know, we understand all of the data. People are having similar outcomes in each of those areas, you know, not leaving the company for different reasons. And if we do find anything, you know, working very closely to address it, right? So, so you're exactly right. Every single stage is one that we have to look at. Um, because if, if you miss one area, you're going to see it bubble up somewhere else. I mean, it, it's so interesting because of how important this field is. And it's because it's not just about working at the raw data. It's looking at it with a diversity lens. It's looking at it at a interpersonal lens. It's looking at it with so many different ways so that you are the most fair and equitable as you can be with the data you have. So can you tell me about how you take that data and kind of build a model around the high-functioning employee, uh, for example, key indicators, standards you build around them, and then how does that way, uh, change the way people tell their own story internally? Yeah, you know, we, we really start with that first part of what is a, a high performer and, and a top performer? How do you quantify that? And so we bring in, again, multiple different data points. So are they getting good performance ratings? Are they getting promoted? Are they staying with the company longer than other people we hired at a similar point in time? Are they patenting? You know, the list goes on and on. And then once we've, you know, agreed on these are the high performers at the company and we've socialized that and it has good buy-in and we can see it from uh, multiple different data points that this is our group, it's studying that group and what differentiates them from the rest of the company and others who aren't in that category. So you know, when they joined, were there certain types of people that they networked with to kind of ramp up more quickly than other people? Um, do they have a mentor at the company? Do they have a good relationship with their manager and have regular one-on-ones with them and, and meet and prioritize? Are they taking learning courses? Are they getting recognized on our recognition platform? Um, you know, there, there's so many things we look at to, to model out and understand what differentiates this group and, and making sure we've identified others who, you know, might be very similar in terms of when they started, what they work on, but, you know, they're, they're not in the high performance group, but they are, and these are the reasons why and what differentiates them. So, you know, at the, in terms of how they tell their story and what that means for people, I think it's 
also connecting it with some of our survey data and, and knowing, you know, the, the biggest question on people's mind of why are high performers staying with the company or to whatever extent they're leaving, why are they leaving? And, and we've boiled that one down to just seeing over and over again that it's, it's really people feeling their career goals can be met at the company. And if they believe in that, if they like what they're working on, if they're confident in the company, like, sure, I'm, there's probably a dollar amount for anybody that could pull them away. But for the most part, you have an employee that's, that's likely going to be with you. You need to encourage that too. So we have some uh, internal transfers, for example, at the company where that, that's a program we have. And, you know, not surprisingly, that's not something everybody loves. If you're a manager of a high-performing employee and they express an interest in another team, that hurts, right? You don't want to lose that person. Um but getting managers and leaders to understand that the short-term pain you're going to have from, from losing that employee to another team is worth the long-term benefits to the company on, on keeping someone so talented within the walls of Qualcomm, right? Absolutely. And could you maybe also elaborate on uh, the part you just went over about you know getting managers uh, and other stakeholders on board with uh, your analyses and findings? How do you compile a persuasive narrative or stories from uh, the results and the data points? Yeah. So again, I mean, I think it starts with being very clear about what is the topic we're studying and getting people all on the same page and seeing from this, the same lens, like what it is we're studying. And then we're, we're lucky we work with engineers and engineering leaders. So, you know, it's, it's a group that understands data and the value of it they're often asking for data and, and want us to look at these things. So, um, and then too, like they are the ones who help poke holes and really test the analyses we do to say, you know, is that answering the question the right way or not? Or do we need to tweak something and go back and look at it? So, you know, they'll, they'll run it through a lot of different conversations and, you know, we get feedback, we, we usually have to iterate a couple of times on different projects and, and respond to some of that feedback. But, but yeah, I mean, we, we get great buy-in by just being transparent on what it is we looked at, how we did it, um, what we found, what it means. And at the end of the day, like you can't really argue with data if you've put it all out there openly and people see what it is. And, and, and two, like, the data, we're never using this black box method where we have to do whatever the data says, right? It's it's one piece and it's an important piece and people do value it, but we don't want to discount you know, human judgment and other factors that have to be taken into account. So we don't strong arm people with the data or say, hey, this is what it said and, and now go do this. Um, so I, I think we just strike a good balance with leaders on what they bring to the table and their experience and their judgment as well as what the data say, and then how we bring it all together into what do we do next with all of this? I know we've all worked with data. We all work in data. I mean, sometimes it can be very complicated. There can be a lot of charts. There can be a lot of things. And a lot of people will be like, okay, how does this apply to the business? So, I mean, it's so important, that kind of aspect of being able to distill it and add that human lens. So in your mind, in your experience, what would you say is the difference between a good and bad data storyteller? That's a good question. Uh, the visualization is a big part of it. So like you said, it can be a lot of charts or tables and, 
you can lose people quickly, especially when you have to go through, you know, on the HR side where people may not be as comfortable with data and, and things like that. So a, a good story always has the right visuals to go with it. Uh, it's, it's, you know, a picture book <laughs> to, to have people read along with you and follow. And if they don't understand it in one way, you should have another way of showing it that that's going to resonate better. So again, I think it's this, this multifaceted approach where you can show it in multiple ways, communicate in multiple ways, explain it in multiple ways, and just bring people along with you. So, um, yeah, it, it's a it's kind of a unicorn skill set to some extent on people who are really good at math and really scientific, but also good communicators and good people skills. Um, it, it's it's a tall order sometimes, but but I think those are the components. Yeah, absolutely. And with the introduction and inclusion of um, data storytelling experts, certainly uh, the way we tell stories about people within an organization has changed uh, a lot. So before people analytics became popular or it became uh, a catchy idea, how was the story of employee life cycle told and was it told differently? How has people analytics changed the way we tell that story? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it, it definitely used to be more one size fits all right. Where, you know, you graduate from school, you get a job, you leave because of compensation or some other assumption like that. And, and just people believe those, you know, without, anything guiding them to, to know that is why people are or are not making different decisions versus now you definitely want to uh, use data to understand why people make the decisions they make to segment employees who want different things in their career. So, you know, if you're, <laughs> I, I'm not a big believer in the generations being super different, but, but to some extent, just young people, I guess, have different things they're looking than people who are at a different stage of their life. Um, and so looking at by employees on where they're at with their own lives and trajectories and how that maps to their careers. Um, and also understanding the interconnection of each of those phases, right? So I think we have a lot of analyses showing that what happens during your onboarding or even during the candidate stage influences the rest of your career and you know what, what you end up doing and if you end up staying or leaving the company and, and knowing that a lot of times you'll see some of those red flags early on and what that means for employees if you don't address them. So, so everything's interrelated. Um, it's different for, you know, different segments of the population and you should have the right types of programs and, and ways to engage your employees to meet all those different needs for different people. So I think one question I always like to ask data people um, is what is, and doesn't have to be related to your work or anything. And what is kind of one of the most, what is the most like interesting data fact or that you've seen or like interesting statistic? I, I think I've been very interested in seeing again, tied to the last year and COVID and stuff, um, you know, alarming statistics on how that's impacted different groups and especially women, uh, and you know, the progress they've made over the last decade or so and how that quickly that eroded in the last year as um, you know th this isn't specific to our company just in general society but as 
the the support fell out and they had to take on more responsibilities at home and, and give up opportunities in the workplace. There's just alarming research out there where, again, we're fortunate with, with where we work and the things we've done. We haven't seen any evidence and things like that, but, but that's been something that's just eye-opening to, to see how quickly progress can unravel, um, you know, with, with things like what happened this year. Yeah, and along that line, you mentioned you know the the very unique situation we had with uh, the year twenty twenty with the pandemic and everything going on, and special cases like this always generate data that are kind of disruptive. And I wonder for you know the, the analyses uh, you're doing, uh, either analyze what happened or make predictions about the future. How do you take such a special year, a special data set, such a disruption into account? Yeah, so we've had some experience with that just given uh, you know the business cycles companies go through and ups and downs. So there are anomalies that happen each year. And so putting those into your model to say, you know, did you um, have a big hiring year or did you have any layoffs or something negative or, or any kind of disruption um, and accounting for that in the model? Because yeah, it's gonna completely throw off all the predictions and, and everything in the model if you don't take that into account. So if you're looking at how many people are gonna hire next year and you have a couple anomaly years in the three years you're using as history, you, you need to account for that. As we talk about the past and we talk about how we are learning more, how has the field changed in the last few years and what are you excited about for the future? Yeah, uh, uh, it's changing quickly. I mean, I think the biggest trends that I've observed in the past year or two, um, probably two things stand out to me. One is getting every piece of data that you have in one place and easily accessible to the right people. So, you know, over the, the past eight years um, that I, I've seen within our team, you know, we have data on people's learning activities over here. We have data on their promotions over here. We have data on their compensation over here. We have data on uh, their recognition over here and, and so on. That's a big ask is even if we make pretty dashboards and, and look at things, um, the fact that we have to send people to different places is not uh, the favorite of any of our partners or leaders. And so I've seen a big shift toward uniting everything into one place. Um, and kind of a second one is just data privacy concerns because it's again in that camp of things you have to do the right way. But especially in the last year, a big shift of companies that have started leveraging relational or collaboration data. So, you know, not doing creepy things like it sounds where you're looking at emails and, and what people are messaging each other, but it looks at the metadata of that, right? So how often are you in meetings and who are you meeting with um, from a job function thing? Or is there overlap of managers co-attending meetings too much? And, and just the value you can get out of that type of data is really exciting to me. Again, from an inclusion lens, seeing do all segments of our, our employee population have the same opportunities when you look beyond just those outcomes like promotions, but are they getting assigned to the right projects, getting the same visibility with key leaders and important people? Um, and then all the way through like, how are people doing over this last year, seeing the big increase in 
meetings and after hours work and, and how that shift has been received. I think it's just a lot of data that we, you know, kind of know how it's going through our robust survey program, but it, it complements all that really well if, if done the right way. I mean, we're collecting more data than ever, and it's so important that we keep learning. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that. To wrap up our episode, we have this interesting segment called Suspenders. It works like this. Uh, we ask you a random question that's unrelated to anything, and you can give us any random answer you feel like. <laughs> Sounds good. I like it. Our suspender question of the day is, what have you learned about yourself in the last year? Oh, that's a, that's a meaningful one. Um, I mean, I, I think I've really, more than anything, just kind of uh, looked inside to see what are, what are my real hobbies or what do I want to do? So with this year plus that I'm planning to be spending not going to the workplace, you know, making sure I maximize that time and get something out of it where, you know, this hobby, I, I didn't know I was into that or this one, I haven't done that in years and I need to make that a habit again. Um, so really thinking through it, and I have two small kids too. So I, the amount of time for those hobbies is not, <laughs> not massive, but, you know, making the most out of it to see like, can I, can I walk away from this experience again with some positives where you know, I'll, I'll have permanent behavior change that even after, you know, things go more back to normal, um, can kind of walk away with some some permanent changes in my life that that I enjoy. So for, for me, a big one has been playing tennis and actually teaching my kindergartner how to play. Um, so that, that's been a highlight. But, but yeah, I think it's just getting back to basics on what drives me personally and, and understand what that is since I haven't really thought about that for a while or had time to think about that. I mean, it kind of goes back to what you were saying. We've seen a lot of data and we're learning a lot right now. And I think this time is such a unique year where we will all learn something about ourselves. So I'm excited for the next phase. I'm excited to get out of this. And I'm really happy we had you today. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure being here and great talking to both of you. Welcome back to Top Hat. This is the part where we synthesize, analyze, and summarize some of the key learnings we just got from our conversation with our expert storyteller. This week we had Micah and we really start to dive into this really interesting cross-functional field that is people analytics. Yeah, and as a student of business analytics myself, I'm so glad that we are bringing a data analytics perspective into the show. Um, people analytics enables us to tell important stories that is the employment life cycle. So let's just dive straight into it. We've learned so much from this conversation. I think one of the really interesting things Micah talked about was the idea of relational and collaboration data. Taking things like meeting times and meeting frequency and uh, analyzing how conversations change when there's a, two managers in there or one manager's in there and just really studying communication is so important for us as humans to learn how we can communicate better, how we can be more productive and how we can work together better. And right now in COVID, it's so important that field of people analytics that people are watching and studying and understanding communication 
as we enter this next phase of the workplace in a hybrid model. And also in people management and human resources, it is always important to understand why people come, stay, and leave an organization. With the introduction of analytics power, we can now better understand、um, more specifically why certain groups of people make decisions differently than others because different people are at different stages of their lives and they may have different career goals and motivations. And for a company to understand that, they can better. Uh, adjust and react to it accordingly,、uh, and as a result, not only can the organization make a better experience for its employees, but it will、uh, ultimately improve the productivity of the company. Yeah, exactly, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier—that intersection of psychology, HR, and data is what people analytics is. It's about adding that human lens, and when he talks about diversity. It's so important in the field of people analytics to bring in diverse perspectives because we have seen the data has shown it that there has been a long history of systematic racism,、uh, sexism baked into society, and the data can be very skewed. So it's important we bring in diverse perspectives so we can add that human lens because that's what people analytics truly is, and that's what data storytelling is: taking data and pulling insights out of it. In an ethical and understandable way. Well, we want to thank Micah for some really great insights, and we'll see you next week on the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast.